Hey guys, happy Pride Month. For those of you who, like me, have under quarantine lost all track of time, space, and reality, it's June and therefore time to celebrate Pride Month. Dust off your rainbow flags and break out your glitter. So June was actually chosen as Pride Month to commemorate the Stonewall Riots, which helped spark the modern-day gay rights movement. Its creation is largely credited to one bisexual activist named Brenda Howard, aka the Mother of Pride. Awesome title, by the way. It's an event where the world's LGBTQ community comes together to celebrate gay pride and to recognize the impact of the LGBTQ community on the world, nationally, globally, in all aspects of our lives. And to celebrate on this podcast, today I'm welcoming a special guest, Dr. Sheena Howard. She is an award-winning author, filmmaker, and scholar. In 2014, Dr. Howard was the first Black woman to win an Eisner Award for her first book, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation. By the way, in case you didn't know, the Eisner Awards are basically the Oscars of comics, so pretty big deal. Along with now being an associate professor at Ryder University, she is the author of a new novel, Nina's Whisper. Side note, read it. No, seriously, read it. For every book sold, $1 is donated to Women's Space, a nonprofit domestic violence organization. Also, it's good. Read it. Now, I won't spoil too much, but I will say I read this book in one sitting. It's incredibly brave. Dr. Howard tackles a domestic violence relationship, but the focus is largely on emotional and verbal abuse the kinds of abuse that we as a culture struggle to accept and validate. And then Dr. Howard goes one step further and tells the story between two women, one of whom is a woman of color. Like I said, brave. And it's needed. It's so, so needed. Think about the last time you heard about domestic violence in an LGBTQ relationship. Not just... Here is a million examples of male-female relationships. And by the way, there are also these others, but an actual deep dive into this space. For the most part, it's ignored. And this is despite the fact that the Human Rights Campaign estimates 44% of lesbians experience domestic violence. And the CDC estimates domestic abuse occurs in LGBTQ communities at higher rates than heterosexual relationships. Through her book, Nina's Whisper, Dr. Howard tackles stereotypes around domestic violence and challenges the notion of who can be a victim as well as what domestic violence looks like. This is a great conversation. Let's dive in. How did you even think about writing this book? What inspired you? So I was in an abusive relationship with a woman um and so that's really where the idea came from and since I'm a writer um you know I tend to write through my pain through my experiences um and so one of the things that struck me is that being a member of the LGBTQ community I've never heard about anybody talk about same-sex domestic abuse and so I was like a story about same-sex domestic abuse needs to be told to at least try to start 
the conversation because this is a public health crisis the same way it is for heterosexuals. The story actually begins with a confrontation involving the police. Is that an intentional choice on your part? Yeah, so my, my background actually, um, I write comic books. And so my writing is uh, largely inspired by the way you would write a comic book. And in comic books, they're all about action and being action-packed. And that's how I learned to kind of hook the reader. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to start with a dramatic scene, which was a confrontation with the police, to hook the reader. Um, because I'm thinking, you know, if somebody reads this first chapter about this dramatic scene, and the first chapter ends with the main character saying, how did I get here? I would hope that they would want to read on to answer that question. Yeah, how did you get here? And so another thing that you do when you write comic books is you're trained to always have cliffhangers because comic books are in issues and you want to leave a cliffhanger so people go and buy the next issue. And so that's kind of how I thought about writing the scenes in Nina's Whisper try to give readers a reason to turn the page and keep reading. Was that scene based on a real life event? So everything in the book is fictional, but um, I will say that I talked to a lot of survivors of domestic abuse. I pulled in stories from everywhere. Um, and I also, the emotional beats of the story, um, they're, they feel real and insightful because I've experienced domestic abuse. Can you quickly summarize that intro scene with the police officers? The intro scene is basically the main character, Nina, deciding that she's going to leave this abusive relationship and her wife basically attacks her when, she, when Nina decides to leave with her newborn baby. And it's only that the police happen to show up that Nina's able to successfully escape without physical harm. And I also thought it was important to show in that scene that there were people outside watching this take place who did nothing to intervene. Um, and so I thought that was important to put in there as well to get people thinking. Because a lot of times I think when we see um, arguments between same genders, right? It's kind of like, we, you know, we don't read that as domestic abuse. We're taught to think that domestic abuse is a man ab abusing a woman. Um, but we need to recognize that domestic abuse is not about gender, it's about power and control. One of my reactions when the police showed up was, I was worried that they would dismiss this as a cat fight and Nina would, you know, be forced to go back mm -hmm. to her wife. Was that intentional? Yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of times when um, law enforcement responds to domestic abuse calls and it's um, uh, same sex, you know, they don't read it as domestic abuse because, again, they're used to seeing domestic abuse as something that a man is doing to a woman. So that's a really good point. Um, but in this instance, the police, as you learn at the end of the book, it was sort of the police report that sort of helped Nina to see that she is a survivor of domestic abuse. One thing that I really appreciated was that you built in a lot of red flags early on, things that were very subtle but can be dismissed mm -hmm. as like caring or like personality quirks. Can you describe your thought process in constructing these red flags? 
Yeah, so I really, really wanted to, I I didn't want to focus so much on physical abuse. I wanted to focus on emotional and verbal abuse. And I really wanted to be meticulous in showing that abuse looks like a lot of things, right? You could be in an abusive relationship right now and not know it just because you feel like you haven't been punched or hit, right? But someone standing in front of the door and not letting you leave the house is abuse, you know, gaslighting is abuse. That, that's emotional abuse. And so I, I was really trying to create scenes where even when the reader's reading it, they might feel like, oh, yeah, I might have brushed that off or I might have brushed that off. So they can really see how Nina just got deeper and deeper into this abusive relationship without even realizing that that's what it was. Yeah, that was, that was very intentional. Um, and I spent a lot of time trying to just hone in on on that aspect was it traumatizing for you as a survivor yourself writing this book and writing these situations that I'm sure you've had experience with yourself writing about domestic abuse for me is less traumatic than what I experienced and since I'm trying to create visibility around domestic abuse it's actually um you know, I'm doing it from a place of love and wanting to help and wanting to um, help people protect themselves from getting or staying in abusive relationships and relationships and leaving when they can. So in that sense, as long as I'm, you know, I try to stay focused on what I feel like I'm here to do and who I'm, I feel like I'm here to help. And in that sense, um, I wouldn't call it trauma I wouldn't call writing about it or talking about it trauma because I'm I'm just so focused on you know how can I use these stories in in my story to help people in the book the antagonist the abuser was white and Nina is black Mm -hmm. why did you choose a mixed race couple so I wanted this book to be all about challenge and stereotypes right um I wanted another thing about the aesthetic of the characters is I wanted to make sure they were both feminine. You know, I didn't want it to be like, Oh, the masculine um, woman in the relationship is the abuser. Right. To me, that's stereotypical. Right. Or at least that, that is not challenging us to think beyond like um, these narratives that we've, we've been fed or our assumptions about people. Um, So the aesthetic was definitely on purpose. I remember I had a, um, a really popular like uh, 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 public figure read the book and he got to the end of the book because uh, the race is not revealed till the end of the, the abuser's race is not revealed to sort of like the end of the book. And he texts me and he's like, I just got to the part where they talk about the abuser's race. And he's like, this just made me rethink everything that I just read about this relationship. And so again, it's just trying to challenge our, our assumptions. That, that, that's what I was going for, challenging stereotypes, challenging our assumptions. When this public figure, who I'm assuming you can't name for privacy reasons. Well, he, 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 um, he's, he's, on, he's on the Amazon page. He wrote an endorsement for the book. Um, okay. so, I, so I think it's okay. Um, Mark Lamont Hill. Um, Mm. Yeah, so what was your question? So when he texted you saying, wow, finding out her race changed my perspective, what what was that intended to mean? Um, I think, you know, when we talk about sort of just race relations in general, just, just even outside of just domestic abuse, 
um, the way that white people treat black people, the way that um, racism is enacted in this country. Um, I think if, if you're a person that's in tune to these issues, when you get to the part where, oh man, some of this gaslighting might mean more than just, you know, might mean something more, right? Um, and and this, is, this is definitely left up in to interpretation um, for the reader, right? Because it's art, so everybody's going to take away something different from that reveal. But I think for some people, sort of that gaslighting and maybe some of the comments that um, the abuser page has made might put things in a different perspective for certain readers. For some people, it might make them just think a little bit deeper about the book, right? You might, once you get that reveal, you might want to go back and start from the beginning and, and read, you know, because we read through our certain lenses and through our certain screens and through our certain backgrounds. Um, so that might inspire you to go back and read through it again to see, you know, art, art is, art is um, up for, for interpretation. The book is meant to be read more than once then? Um... I don't know. For different people, I think it's going to be different things. Some people can't even get through. The, if you're, if you're a survivor of domestic abuse, the book might be hard to get through. I, I've had, I've had some survivors say, you know, I got to this part in the book and I just can't read anymore because it's too close to home or it's, or it's, you know, it's bringing up, you know, their own experience. So I think this is just one of those books where it's going to be different for everybody that's reading it. Like I had one person read the book and she was like, I don't feel bad for Nina at all. Nina should have saw the, the signs at the beginning. I love the book, but I have no sympathy for her. So, you know, it's depending on your experience, you're going to take something different away. But as long as I can get people to read the book to the end, I feel like I've done my job in, in, in creating this visibility that we've talked about. To people who say, I have no sympathy for Nina, I don't understand her choices, what would be your response to that? I, you know, I'm not... I wouldn't have a response. You know, I don't, I don't want to tell people when they read this book, I don't think it's my job to tell them what to think. I think it's my job to give them insight. And hopefully throughout the book, if not for anything, they just understand that domestic abuse can be between two men, can be between two women, can be between any two individuals, regardless of race. And that it's not just a situation where abuse is between a man and a woman. Do you think the response that Nina, you know, either deserved it, doesn't deserve sympathy, would be different if she were white and the abuser were black? That's a good question. I mean, yes, I think, I think any of those dynamics in a book, in a movie, you know, we choose the race of characters when we're creating things on purpose because we're trying to elicit certain responses and bring out certain emotions and send a certain message. So absolutely changing the race, even making the two characters black instead of biracial turns the book into something different, reaches a different audience. Um, and so, yeah, I think all of those choices make a difference in how people respond to the book. One thing this book really does is it tackles stereotypes. Mm -hmm. For listeners who may haven't thought about this, what are some common stereotypes involving these lesbian relationships that are harmful? Um, so, of course, one that um, abuse doesn't happen in same-sex relationships. I think that's a myth and a stereotype that I'm trying to, to bring to light that's problematic. Um, 
two that all same-sex relationships are like this feminine woman and this butch woman like we're trying to recreate some um heteronormative dynamic in our relationships that's not true um you know lesbian relationships look like a lot of different things i think sometimes in especially in the black lesbian community we do fall into um these heteronormative dynamics where um two feminine women are not supposed to be together or two butch women are not supposed to be together um and i think that this book i was definitely intentional about trying to challenge that dynamic definitely being intentional about trying to challenge the assumption that if there is domestic abuse between two lesbians that the abuse is going to be at the hands of the more butch or masculine identified woman um that was something that i really wanted to challenge um and um flip that sort of notion on its head sometimes we sometimes our idea of what a victim of abuse looks like is somebody that's not financially secure someone that's not assertive and confident someone that doesn't actually have close family and friends but we learn in this book that nina had all of that and she still found herself in an abusive relationship because there is no one um archetype of what a victim of abuse looks like one thing that i really that really touched me in the book was nina's relationship with her mother and how nina was really scared to talk to her mother about her abuse. Is this common when you see same-sex relationships? Yeah, so so a, the tactics of an abuser are the same, regardless of the sexual orientation and the gender of the people involved. And one of the things about domestic abuse is that the victim is, is really starts to try to protect the relationship and protect the image of the relationship um and so that goes into this spiral of silence where the victim is not telling his or her close family or friends what they're actually experiencing one because they could be embarrassed one because they're hoping that their abuser will change and if you tell your close family and friends that your partner is abusing you in this way then obviously your co close family and friends are going to be like you need to leave this person you need to get out and the victim might not be ready to leave because they think the abuser is going to change because a lot of uh, a lot of times abusers are telling you oh i'm not going to do that again oh you know this is going to change oh we're, we're meant to be you see all of these dynamics in the book too we're meant to be you know our relationship is just going to get better and better and so you don't want to reach out to the people that are closest to you because you're trying to protect the image of the relationship because you're hoping that this relationship is going to work out and so this is very common um in abusive relationships you had a huge focus on emotional abuse versus physical abuse which i really appreciate mm -hmm. did you choose that focus because you feel like it's underrepresented as a whole or is this more likely to be the dynamic in a lesbian relationship no i chose that focus because i think when we think about abuse we tend to think about somebody got knocked upside the head and they ended up in the er when really before you get knocked upside the head you're experiencing emotional abuse in that relationship and i really wanted to show people look i wanted to show as many forms of abuse as i could within one book and so that's why that's why there's a lot of emotional and verbal abuse in the book um because I wanted to show the reader 
that abuse looks like all of these different things. And it's all about me trying to create awareness. I think one example that you included, which I haven't seen, is there was an element of reproductive coercion. Reproductive coercion, that is a beautiful phrase to describe what happened in Nina's whisper. Yeah, so, you know, this whole time that Nina's being abused, uh, her partner Paige is convincing her that the relationship will get better and that they are meant to be. And Nina holds on to this idea that we're meant to be, it's going to get better. And also the idea of hope is depicted in the book because hope is keeping Nina in the relationship because she's she has hope that it will get better. And part of that hope is used against her and part of you know the other thing that i really was trying to do in the book is to show how nina's positive traits can be turned against her by an abuser um so nina's assertive confident you know she thinks she's the real deal right she thinks you know she thinks she's awesome and so in the end when Paige is engaging in this reproductive coercion Paige uses that against her you know Paige says no, you should, you should have a baby. Don't you, don't you want to leave your mark on the world, right? And have, have this baby that looks like you and, you know, you should do it with me because I'll be better once you have this baby. And, you know, unfortunately, Nina takes the bait because, you know, abusers, they ask you questions and they learn what makes you tick. And, that is part of the abuse to use those things against you when they need it. So that's the part of the book that I'm most curious about from readers is when they got like what are reader when they're reading this part where Paige is trying to convince Nina to have a baby. Like I want to know what readers are thinking. Like obviously they're probably thinking like no 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 don't do it. But I am curious. I would like to hear from readers about what they think about that part. I would too, because it's been I picked up on right away, like, oh gosh, you know, she's playing her, she just wants to, you know, hook her in this relationship. But if you look at statistics from uh, like helplines and advocacy groups, many women don't pick up on this type of abuse, this coercion involving reproductive systems. So again, that's why I really appreciate you focusing on that. Yeah. What yeah? What inspired you to write that in? Because that was a really like nice addition. Oh, thank you. Um, again, some of the stories that I've heard from researching the book, from listening to podcasts, yeah, being familiar with stories I've heard, um, drawing the emotional insight from the abuse that I experienced, and just trying to put as many twists and turns into the book as I could to show how far specifically emotional abuse can go. Was there ever a scene in your head that you imagined where Nina would be threatened with, you know, potentially, you know, being murdered by Paige? Mm. Did it ever cross your mind to maybe put her in that sort of danger? No, it didn't. But I think if I were going to write like a follow-up book, you know, what, what's happening with Nina you know, several years later, I think that element would be in the book. So potentially maybe stalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if my goal is to show all of the different forms and types of abuse in a second, it, you know, in a sequel to the book, 
I think I would definitely want to include stalking, harassing, um, the feeling that this person might break into your house and kill you, those types of things. And the book would have been longer, but I felt like it was already so much trauma in the book that my developmental editor was like, okay, I think you should stop there. Do you see Paige as being the stalking type? Um, I think any abuser has the potential to be a stalker. So for listeners, or readers, I'm sorry, who are you know, reading this and going, wow, both these women seem so miserable together. Mm. You know, why is Paige doing so much work to trap Nina in this relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, the book is written from Nina's perspective, so we don't really get into Paige's head. But again, um, abusers thrive off of making people miserable. They thrive. They 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 don't have a normal sort of, you know, they want a calm, cool, and collected relationship. They thrive off of cruelty, right? Um, they need to feel like they're controlling someone. And so while their relationship might look miserable to everybody else, to an abuser, they're getting, they're feeding their soul. They're getting exactly what they need by engaging in these gaslighting, mental abuse, physical abuse, um, power, control, all, all of that is feeding the what the abuser needs. Now, from Nina's perspective, you know, one could say, why are you staying in this horrible relationship? But hopefully the book shows how one slowly slips into domestic abuse. And by the time you realize that you're in an abusive relationship, you know, now you're contending with feeling like this person isn't meant to be, you know, you you love this person, you want to make it work. Um, Nina really wanted to be in a relationship that the societal pressures of, you know, by 30, you should be settled down and, mm. you know, in, in this significant relationship, all of those things were factors that kept Nina in relationship, but also her reality was stunted because she didn't have, Nina didn't have people validating her experiences because, you know, she wasn't, she didn't, she no longer had a close relationship with her mother, her friends you know, lived in different places and she wasn't telling them what was going on. And so all of that impacts, you know, whether the person leaves or stays. And then some people who are in abusive relationships, they feel like it's safer to stay because the most dangerous person for the most dangerous time for an abuser, as you see in this book, is leaving. That's the most dangerous time for an abuser, right the the the, for the for for a victim i mean you know the abuser is losing control when you're leaving that relationship the abuser is losing control and so they're they're most dangerous they tend to be most dangerous when the victim leaves if you had to write a chapter from Paige's perspective Mm -hmm. what sort of internal dialogue would you give her Mm. it will be very difficult for me to write a chapter from Paige's perspective I don't even think that I could do it. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. P- part of part of what I probably would do for Paige is to start with her upbringing. You know, was she abused when she was a child? What trauma did she experience when she was a child? 
that she had to engage in these traumatic um engage in being an abuser you know what happened to her um that makes her feel like she thrives off of trauma of a you know engaging in trauma in a relationship so i think it would be more it might be a book about pages early years through high school to shed light on how she even got to be in a relationship and to be the abuser in that relationship Do you feel like Nina, if she were standing here with us and we asked her about the way she treated Nina, would say to us, well, it's all Nina's fault. She did this. She did that. It wasn't my fault. Absolutely. Abusers never, abusers are not going to um, take blame. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. Um, and you can see in the book, you can see Paige's personality in the book that she never takes responsibility for anything that she does. So is there any hope that Paige would ever change or would, do you see her, if she were a real person, continuing to abuse other partners? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I see Paige as going on to possibly continue to abuse Nina or to get into another relationship and abuse that person. Um, and I think it will be only until Paige got help via therapy, perhaps medication for any mental health issues, that she would be on the road to being a better person. But I do not see Paige taking those steps because it would be very hard for her to accept that she has a problem. In the book, Paige abused alcohol and drugs, severely mm -hmm. so. Were there any underlying mental health issues that were also part of her personality? Um. No, not not in this book. Not in this book. And that, that part, that part, I really wanted to leave up to the reader as well. I wanted, you know, I wanted the reader to make their own judgments about that stuff, um, which is why in the book, you know, Nina wasn't doing what we would consider like hard drugs. She was smoking marijuana. And there's, you know, a national debate about marijuana and what it what it can and can't do to your brain some people think it's completely harmless you know research shows that it's not um so i also wanted the reader to grapple with the use of marijuana and how that you know just just grapple with that a little bit right um so that was also part of my intention in the book as well Going back to your interest scene with the police, given that we have you know, a victim who is a black woman, how does bringing the police into you know, the scene, I guess, you know, affect that interaction? Especially if we're looking at a time right now where we're seeing these protests over the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Yeah, I like in the book where um, Nina actually says, you know, I don't, I don't usually mess with the police, but in this situation, I was so happy to see the police to help me get out, get away from this abusive, crazy woman. Um, and I, and I put that in there because I wanted people to see, like, you know, this is Nina is a person of color, right? There is a history there, um, and but sometimes you need the police, right? Who else are you gonna call, especially in in that, that moment? Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely there, deliberate to give Nina um, some culture, right? Um, but but also um, to show the relief 
that she experienced when those officers showed up. I have one last question. Why is the title Nina's Whisper? What's the oh, that's right. I appreciate that question. Um, so one of the hardest things I had to do was come up with character names. That was really difficult for me. Um, so I started just thinking about movies and people that I'm a fan of. Um, so Nina's name actually comes from one of my favorite movies, Love Jones, um, because um, the main character's name is Nina. Um, and so that's why I gave the character the name Nina. Um, it's called Nina's Whisper. Um, one, because I thought it had a ring to it. Um, and I actually came, you know, there's a part in the book where Nina actually whispers to her little baby, like, we're going to get out of here. Um, and so that's the correlation between the title of the book and, you know, what's actually happening in the story. And also, Nina has a habit of kind of like whispering to herself <laughs> at, a at a few different points in the book. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to bring up right now? Um, yeah, I just want to say, you know, the CDC and other research shows that lesbians, um, one out of four lesbians experience domestic abuse. And that's a really high number. And the number is so high. And the fact that it's not talked about um, is something that I hope can change because that will also change the way that law enforcement responds to domestic abuse calls from people who are in same-sex relationships. Instead of um, thinking that this is just two women in a fight, they will be coding these interactions as domestic abuse. And so I think when you look at the statistics from the CDC and from the Human Rights Campaign, it's showing that rates of domestic abuse are higher the rates of domestic abuse in lesbian and gay relationships are higher than the rates of heterosexual couples. And so this is a public health crisis and people need help and people need resources and people need to know where to go to get those resources. And the LGBTQ community shouldn't be sweeping it under the rug. You know, I know that we ran on a campaign that love is love, but within that, people are suffering as well. And so the entire experience of the LGBTQ community needs to be shown so that um, we can end this public health crisis or at least end the response to this public health crisis. Does the LGBTQ community have a habit of sort of minimizing this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Whoa. Yeah, the LGBTQ community doesn't want to talk about same-sex domestic abuse and I mean that's pretty obvious because you never you never hear about it um you know I reached out to a couple of outlets before I wrote the book because I'm a professor so I reached out to a couple of um journals to do some special editions on research on lesbian domestic abuse and you know they didn't want to publish it they didn't want to talk about the topic and um I think a lot of, you know, once I started talking about this story, other, some of my closest friends started telling me that they've been in abusive relationships. And, and these are people that I've known for years. And so people don't feel comfortable talking about something until other people are talking about it. And so, yeah, 
So to answer your question, yes. Part of what I love about doing this podcast is the people I meet. I learn so much talking to experts and everything I learn helps me be better at being an advocate and a podcaster. And this was a really special conversation for me. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. Before we go, I have a list of questions Dr. Howard listed in an interview with Tag Magazine. It's designed for LGBTQ individuals who are assessing whether or not they are in an abusive relationship. So if you're trying to assess whether maybe your partner is being abusive or not, take a look at these following questions. Do you feel embarrassed or ashamed about the things that happen in your relationship? Does your partner accuse you of cheating or flirting with others? Are you hiding things from your loved ones that happen in your relationship, but that also make you sad? Does your partner try and control how you act or dress? Is your partner jealous of your other relationships? Does your partner take issue with you spending time with others without them? If you answered yes to any of these, please contact a helpline. I have the number for the National Domestic Violence Helpline listed at the end of the show. It can be hard to recognize if you're in an abusive relationship, especially since we're socialized to believe it only looks like one thing. But if you sense in your gut something is wrong, please listen and speak up. There are people who want to help you and you don't deserve to be abused. That's it for our special Pride episode. If you want to reach us, please email thedivadiscussion at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Diva Discussion. We all have stories, and they deserve to be heard. See you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone. <laughs>